Okay, now it is my pleasure to introduce our keynote speaker this evening, uh, all the way from Canada, I believe. Uh, Megan, thank you for joining us. Uh, Louise, let's have Louise raise her hand because she came off the first screen. So Louise, raise your hand so I can get you back on the first panel. Okay, very good, Louise. Thank you. Go ahead. And I would just say that Megan is uh, from Ottawa. I found my note. And she's going to have 35 minutes. And afterwards, we will have questions and answers. And you will be able to put your questions in the Q&A function on Zoom. So uh, thank you very much, Megan. Welcome. Uh, thanks, Kimberly. Uh, can you hear me okay, everybody? Louise, Sibyl? Okay. Uh, my name is Megan. I'm a compulsive overeater, anorexic bulimic. Um, I am really uh, humbled to be here. I heard the keynote last night and this morning and I was uh, blown away. Um, thank you to the committee for asking me to speak today. Uh, when I received my invitation to speak, I immediately texted my sponsor and asked her, uh, are you sure I'm qualified to do this? Um, and instead of saying, yes, of course you are, Megan, uh, she asked me to tell her why, why I was qualified. Um, and I thought about it and I'll share more with you, but uh, I'm here to tell you that I'm a youthful person today because of this program, uh, that the promises have come true for me in my life and this program saved my life. And even though I'm afraid you may think I don't belong or I'm not doing the program right, um, I'm trusting God. I've said a lot of prayers this, today uh, to put the right words in my mouth, and I hope something I say will give someone some hope. Um, before I begin, of course, I want to give the OA disclaimer. I don't speak for OA. This is just my story. There are so many good speakers here this weekend. Uh, please take what you like and leave the rest uh, or talk to your sponsor. Um, so I'll start with the numbers because I was really interested in those when I came to OA. Um, I've been coming to OA since 2001, uh, so I was 19. At the time, I felt very sorry for the people in the rooms that said they'd been here for eight, nine, 10 years. I thought how sad that someone would continue to come to an o a 12 step program for so long. Uh, it's now been 21 years for me. Um, I'm, an, I'm a long timer and I hope I never leave. Um, my height, I'm somewhere between 5'6 and 5'7. My lowest weight was 93 pounds. Um, my highest weight was 155 pounds or more because I stopped weighing myself. Um, I went from my lowest weight to tie my top weight in about five months. And today I'm somewhere in the middle. Uh, I don't own a scale. I've generally worn the same clothing size, uh, give or take, uh, for 18 years, um, aside from two healthy pregnancies. Uh, God willing, I will be abstinent. I will have been abstinent for 16 years in December. Um, my abstinence is no binging and no purging. Um, when I came to OA, I couldn't string two days together without binging. Um, and if you do the math, you will realize that my first five years in program were not smooth sailing. I am someone who has experienced relapse. Uh, so I'm going to share what it was like, what happened, and what it was, what it's like now. Um, the first word that always comes to mind about what it was like was extremely lonely. Um, although I'm not sure I could have told you that at the time. 
Uh, going back, I don't think I was born a compulsive eater, but I was born with a strong predilection towards theism. Um, I learned in recovery that my dad is an alcoholic. Um, on the other side of my family, many of the women have uh, disordered eatings of sorts. Um, but as a kid, my body was normal sized. I liked sweet food. Um, I, you know, stopped when I was full. It never occurred to me to change the way I was eating or to change the way I moved my body to change my body. Um, but I always internally felt different than others. And, you know, I've heard that so many times in the room. I know that's part of the disease. Um, I was a really, really good kid. I got good grades. I was well behaved. Uh, and I grew up with a lot of dysfunction. Um, I had to handle stuff that kids should not have to handle. And uh, from a very early age, I felt the weight of my shoulder, the weight of the world on my shoulders. I just felt like I had so much responsibility from a very young age. Uh, my disease manifested in my first year of university. Things started to feel out of control. I was at a big school. My grades had really dropped. My first boyfriend had broken up with me. I had to give up a sport I had been really dedicated to. Um, a friend mentioned that I'd gained a few pounds and things started really innocently for me. I started to go to the gym casually. Then I started to cut back on fat because I think that was the phase at the time. Um, then I cut back sugar, then protein, then calories and like so on and so on. And I would say anorexia worked until it didn't, um, just like our literature says. You know, I got attention. I felt a tremendous sense of control and pride over my body, you know, that I had figured out the big secret. Um, I got a lot of attention, which, you know, started from you look good to is everything okay? Um, eventually to you look like you belong in a concentration camp. Um, at some stage, I lost whatever control I had had. Um, what that looked like, you know, I've already said lonely, but I'll say it again. I spent a ton of time at the gym by myself. <laughs> I went to bed thinking about food and exercise, uh, thinking about, you know, what I'd eaten that day. I was always doing mental gymnastics around calories. Like I'd eaten at a restaurant three days ago. How could I make up for it? I was going out for dinner in three days. Like what would I do to prepare? Um, I was cold all the time. I was losing my hair. I had sores on my back from where my hip bones uh, met my backpack. I was frequently in pain from over-exercising and injuring, uh, being injured. And I, you know, still worked out, of course. I lost my period. Um, my world was super, super small, even though I was surrounded by people and opportunities to socialize and make human connections. Uh, I was rigid. I was ritualistic around food. Uh, food and exercise came before anything else. Um, I was Miss Sorority. I lived in residence and, you know, I wouldn't eat with other people because they were eating like 15 minutes before I thought dinner should be eaten. Um, and I would only drink if I, you know, skipped dinner um, or I was going to drink enough to vomit. So at some point I reached out for help and, uh, you know, my higher power was working in my life then. And um, 
I somehow got off a really long waiting list to see a psychiatrist with an eating disorder specialty. And she ended up 12-stepping me. Um, at first, Overeaters Anonymous sounded like a terrible place to go. And I had zero interest in joining you. <laughs> um, I still hate our, uh, no, I wouldn't say I hate. I still don't love our program's name, but I can live with it today. Um, you know, for me, the willingness to come to OA came with pain, of course. And it started, she had challenged me to start eating for a day, um, just to take off the control. And at that point, I was willing to try it for a day. But of course, I had the illusion that I could control my eating for a day. And um, it was like a switch turned off or turned on. And, um, you know, what I remember about that day was that like tomorrow I'll go back to eating normally. I remember my family was so relieved that I was eating. I was with my family that day. Um, and I remember, you know, telling my mom, I feel so sick as I like reached to grab more chocolate chips and her telling me like, why don't you stop? You can, you know, eat more tomorrow. And uh, like, that was just an, an not gonna happen. Um, you know, I just, there was no moderation possible. Um, so that one day of controlled eating uh, led to days, weeks, months of uncontrolled eating and uncontrolled binging. Uh, I kept trying to restrict and I kept binging and the stale, scale started to go up and up and up. And I kept saying to myself, I'll stop eating when the scale hits 100 pounds, 105, 110, 120, 130, and I could not stop eating. Um, I had red marks around my waist. Um, I was outgrowing clothing very quickly. I was constantly breaking promises to myself. I'd go to bed having binged and I'd promise myself, okay, no breakfast tomorrow, super clean eating. And, uh, you know, by 8.30 in the morning, I would have already binged. Um, I kept trying to make it up with exercise. And then, you know, I'd spend an hour at the gym only to like binge on 2000 calories three hours later. Uh, I was just totally out of control. Um, I didn't want to see people. I was um, so deeply ashamed. Uh, people didn't recognize me because uh, I put on so much weight. Some people who did recognize me said like afterwards that we were so glad you were alive. Um, but I had left school that year being super, super, super thin. And I came back in an entirely different body. And um, I just felt like everyone could see my disease. It was just like worn right on my, you know, right on my shirt. And um, that is one of the reasons why I introduced myself as an anorexic bulimic compulsive reader. Um, you know, as a side note, I thought when that happened to me that I was the only person who had ever gone from one extreme to the other. And um, like the shame of <laughs> the shame of failing in my eating disorder was like really deep. And um, and now I know I've met so many of us that have gone from one side to the other. And, uh, you know, it's just a different facet of the disease. It's the same, you know, it, at essence, it's our sa the same problem. Um, and so as I gained more weight, as I became, you know, increasingly miserable, I became willing to go to OA, you know, as only the dying can be. 
Um, so what I want to tell you about OA is I did not like it. Um, my first uh, few meetings, I, I'm from Vancouver originally, and um, I went to some meetings in the suburbs, and there were women middle-aged, uh, now my age and older. Um, they were overweight, and I felt like I didn't belong. And I'm not sure they felt like I belonged either. They were very nice to me, but I, I just didn't feel like I belonged. Um, my psychiatrist told me to go to different meetings, which is advice I always give to people today as newcomers, go to different meetings. Um, and I finally became willing. It was a far drive for me. I went downtown, and uh, then I met my people. I, uh, they happened to be younger. Um, I heard my story. Um, one of the earliest meetings I went downtown to, there were two women celebrating that night and one woman was celebrating a week of abstinence and another was celebrating a year. And honestly, the woman celebrating a year, she might as well have said she was, you know, had walked to the moon that like, that meant nothing to me. Um, the woman with a week abstinence, like that was something I was like, wow, like that is something really to strive for. And like, I hope I can get that. Um, I would like to tell you that OA worked for me right away, um, but it didn't. And my first one and a half years in OA was spent getting progressively worse. Um, I started purging, uh, which didn't come naturally to me. And if you are bulimic, who <laughs> purging did not come naturally to, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I popped a blood vessel in my eye, walked around campus with it, had all sorts of people you know, looking at me, asking questions, and I just felt terrified that everyone knew um, I ate on my way to meetings. I purged in open AA meetings. I went to a lot of open AA meetings in the early days, which were really good for me, uh, but I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> um, I remember the first time I binged after a binge purge and the sudden realization that this cycle could go on forever, you know, where if I just binged, eventually I would stop. But if I binged, purged, binge, purge, like I could keep going that cycle forever. Um, I became willing to do the things suggested. Um, I got a sponsor fairly early on. I cannot recommend that enough. Um, she was really busy and had, you know, strict conditions to sponsoring. I had to go to at least three meetings a week and call her every day. I did that. Um, I did service. I called people. I wrote in my journal. I shared what was happening at meetings. I was really honest. Uh, and I kept hitting bottom after bottom. I felt really hopeless. I thought about suicide a lot. Um, I felt like this program wouldn't work for me. Old timers told me to keep coming back and to not leave five minutes before the miracle happens. Um, old timers told me that if my higher power wasn't getting me abstinent, I could borrow theirs who did get them abstinent. I borrowed many people's higher powers. Um, I acted as if I was abstinent. My sponsor used to tell me, you know, wear makeup, have a shower, wear clothing that is clean, wear clothing that fits, um, you know, these act as ifs. I got on my knees to pray, um, called my sponsor daily. I went to four or five, six meetings a week, which sometimes involved very long bus rides. Uh, I embraced the fellowship. And even though I was getting longer periods of abstinence, you know, a week here, a few weeks there, I kept getting back into the food, you know, that strange mental blank spot that we talked about. 
Um, I have a distinct memory of purging one night at two in the morning at a construction site across the street from my apartment because I didn't want my roommate to hear. And I left a message for my sponsor that night. Um, she was so wonderful. <laughs> and uh, she left one for me that I picked up in the morning. And I remember how sad her voice was. And I'm sure she was talking to her higher power. Um, and she said, just keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, so what happened? Um, I still don't know exactly why or how I got abstinent. I'm really clear that I was doing a lot of footwork. I put in a lot of footwork, but today I remain convinced that my first long-term abstinence was, you know, one part footwork, but most parts miracle, um, or God, as I choose to call my higher power. Um, when I got abstinent, I was working through my step four. So my sponsor brought me through the steps, um, abstinent or not, we just worked through the steps. So I was doing my first step four and I went to a step three retreat over a weekend. And um, the retreat leader said, if it, is your if it was your higher powers will for you to weigh 300 pounds, would you be okay with that? And, um, you know, most of us, the idea, well, anyways, for an anorexic, the idea of like voluntarily gaining weight is horrifying. And, uh, but I, I don't know, I'd been beaten down. I was in enough pain. I was willing. And I came to a place where I could say yes. And I think this was a turning point of sorts because I let go. I started to let go of what weight I thought I should be. And when I let go of what weight I thought I should be, I started letting go of the control over the food. And, um, you know, it's a lesson I have learned many times over the years. The more I try to control my food, the bigger it gets. Um, in that first year of abstinence, I felt like an emotional wreck. <laughs> if you were in early abstinence and feeling like life feels too loud and hurts and feels too much, um, you're in good company. Um, I was super protective of my abstinence. I was rigid with timing around food and what we were eating. I prioritized meetings over people. I went to bed early. I still go to bed early. That is one of my favorite. It's not a tool of the program, but it's one of my favorite tools. Um, abstinence was the most important thing in my life. And my life started to get bigger. Um, as a side note, in early abstinence, it's recommended that you stay out of relationships for the first year, at least in other programs. And um, I did not listen to that advice. And the relationship I got into reflected uh, where I was at in my recovery. Um, you know, so I don't recommend that. Um, but if you're following with the math, that abstinence is not my current abstinence, but I count that as a turning point. It's when I knew recovery was possible for me. Uh, relapse is a part of my story. And today I think it was a necessary part. Um, that first abstinence lasted like over a year, maybe two years. I'm not sure anymore. And gratefully, my relapses, I think there were three were really short, you know, they were with, you know, lasted a few hours, each of them. Um, yeah, um, my last relapse was December 16th. Um, coming up, it'll be 16 years, God willing. I have heard in these rooms that if you can't remember your last binge, you haven't had it yet. And so I want to tell you what my last binge was like. Um, I was at a very small Christmas party being hosted by a friend. There were not a lot of us. Um, there were a lot of sweets, desserts there. Um, desserts are not on, I don't, 
have a red list and like I'm someone who does eat desserts. Um, but I started eating them without a plate and, uh, I looked down at one point and I didn't know how much I'd eaten and I flipped out and uh, I panicked. I abruptly left the party, Miss, like not very polite, abruptly left the party. Um, and I went to purge in the bushes outside of a church. Uh, you know, not very ladylike behavior. Um, and ironically, I live in that neighborhood now and every once in a while I walk by and be like, ah, yes. Um, you know, one of the things I want to point out about that was I used to have the choice in purging. It used to be something I had to try to do. It used to be something like I made a conscious decision. And to me, that incident really, and I still, I need to remember this. It reflects the progressive nature of the illness. You know, I lost the choice. It was just an automatic reaction. And so I know my disease is constantly like, you know, we hear in the rooms, her disease is doing push-ups while, well, you know, we're in the rooms, our disease is in the hall. Um, you know, so I know that this disease is not done with me if I go out. Just want to give Louisa a, a breath. <laughs> um, so what it's like today? You know, I have a lot to cover over the last 15 years and so much life has happened. Um, I finished grad school. I got a real job. Um, I got married. I had two kids. Uh, my career has progressed and I've gone through hard stuff uh, like professional burnout, um, brain injury, some really hard health stuff in my husband's family. Um, I parent a kid with complex medical needs and, uh, and I'm continuing to navigate marriage, which is, you know, not an easy road anyways for me. Uh, life often feels overwhelming, which is one of the reasons I keep coming back. Um, this is the blueprint I need to live my life. Um, when my sponsor asked, why are you qualified to share? Um, I was at first annoyed. Uh, <laughs> I was really annoyed. Uh, and then I wrote my reasons down. And I hope this will give you a glimpse of what life is like today. Um, so I don't think about food or my weight the vast majority of my day. I can eat anywhere in the world and be abstinent. And thanks to program, I've been abstinent in some super cool places that I never thought I'd visit. Uh, I don't exercise when I'm injured. I follow doctor's orders. Um, but I say that with a caveat because I had COVID last week and I was, you know, sick. And uh, my brain really thought I should exercise. And uh, it, I, my, you know, my hamster wheel brain started like, well, maybe maybe you can do this and maybe you should do that. And are you actually that sick? Um, you know, today I don't need to listen to that voice. I uh, went to a meeting and I, you know, kind of laughed at my brain. Um, and then I had a nap and, you know, I didn't exercise when I was sick. Uh, I've been married for 13 years to a really good man. Um, it's not a perfect marriage and the principle of perseverance has really been helpful to me, uh, along with step work and outside help. Uh, I live a useful life. Um, I've written in my notes that I'm a, a good mom and I like, I have a really hard, I'm a mostly good mom. I don't know. I have a hard time knowing what good is. Uh, I can tell you, I show up for my kids. Um, I keep my promises. I have a son with a chronic illness and I advocate for him in the medical system. 
um, my, I tell my boys, I love them every day. Um, and I apologize when I mess up. Um, I have a good job and I feel useful at my workplace. Um, I mentor, you know, junior employees. Uh, I think I'm a good boss. Uh, my boss thinks I'm great. I'm on really good terms with my former employers and colleagues, which is not the case before. <laughs> um, I have really, really good friendships around me in program and outside. Um, they're the kind of friendships I always wanted, you know, like solid, genuine kindred spirits. Um, I have sponsees who I lead through the steps and I have borne witness to the miracles working in their lives. And I have a relationship with some kind of higher power and can see him working in my life. Um, and I choose to call that higher power God. Um, I think I wanna talk about the three pillars of recovery, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Um, it goes without saying these pillars, you know, this, this recovery is the result of working the steps, which is our spiritual solution. Uh, but honestly, when I was new, I was not super interested in any spiritual solution. Uh, the pillar I cared about was physical. So I'll start with that. You know, so I said earlier, my abstinence is no binging and purging. Um, when I was struggling to get abstinent, an old timer told me that my abstinence had to be a big enough hoop to I could jump through. And so it's a very big, broad hoop. And that has helped me stay abstinent. Um, but I, what I, I really want to convey is, you know, my absence could kill you and yours could kill me. Um, it's not an abstinence, an abstinence that works for everyone. Um, what my recovery looks like might be different for you. Um, for me, the road with the food has actually broadened. Um, I have a really flexible food plan. Um, I want to reiterate though, it's just what works for me and it, it's what gives me peace with the food, which is my priority. Um, that said, like my food plan has changed over the years. Um, it was much more, um, not rigid, but it was much mm, more prescribed when I was first got abstinent. Um, you know, today my plan is flexible. I can eat at most restaurants and I don't need to control every aspect of when, where, what. Um, if you invite me, invite me for dinner at your house, I am not going to go into your kitchen to make sure you are not adding too much oil into the food, uh, which I totally did. Um, you know, today I will not yell at a cafeteria worker for not telling me that there's oil in the spinach, which I also did. Um, I know today when my body is hungry or full, um, and that took years of learning to listen to my body. That was a process. Um, I don't need to make up for meals anymore, you know, so if I don't have a great night with a dinner or a meal, you know, the next day is a new day. My abstinence, you know, every day is a new day and uh, I don't need to carry shame about the day before. Um, I've had two healthy pregnancies, which tested and grew my recovery. Um, for me, that's really been the ultimate lesson in letting go of control over my body. Sorry, there's somebody that just came in. I'm so sorry. And I'm just finding my notes which have disappeared from my computer, thanks. Okay, 
I start, said I had two healthy pregnancies. Uh, those were really a, a big test of my recovery. I wasn't sure I wanted children and um, it was very scary. It was really the ultimate lesson in letting go of control. And, um, you know, I'll just say other members in the fellowship walked me through that path. And if you are in that situation um, and you want someone to talk to, I'm really happy to talk to you about it. It was a scary time. Um, today I brush and floss my teeth. <laughs> Uh, that might sound silly to many of you, but when I was binging, I was not, uh, sometimes I brushed my teeth, but I definitely didn't floss my teeth. And uh, sometimes I washed my face, but I definitely didn't use moisturizer. Um, you know, I treat my body with care today. I mean, I'm also getting older, but I, I think mostly it's program. Uh, I don't eat food that I don't like. And um, yeah, I just don't do it. It makes me want to have another meal. Um, and today I send my food to my sponsor and my backup sponsor. Um, I send it most days uh, to be accountable and to take away the shame because I still have days where I feel, you know, shame around what I've eaten. So the emotional pillar, um, it's a bit harder to define. I looked at some um, definitions. One definition I found was, you know, it's dealing with our emotions. Uh, another definition that I liked better was it's feeling our emotions and managing them which I take to mean like I feel my emotions instead of stuffing them down or exercising to numb out or purging to release them. Uh, here too though, progress, not perfection. Um, early abstinence, I mentioned I was on an emotional roller coaster. Uh, life was very dramatic, uh, in part maybe the age, but it was very dramatic. Um, today I have stability in my life, although I still don't like feeling my feelings. Um, I've been given courage in this program, and it was neat when I went back. I've been reading the big book the last couple of weeks uh, to prepare, <laughs> and uh, you know, I came up a few of, of, with a few passages that talk about you know, people of faith have courage, uh, and I had never actually linked that linked those two things together so much. You know, the power of faith with giving me courage, um, and that's not to say I don't deal with fear still. Um, but I can tell you concretely before program, I lived an hour away from home and I was homesick all the time. Um, in abstinence, I moved across the country twice for school and then to stay. Um, I once, once one of those cities was Quebec City where I didn't speak the language very well. Bonjour mes amis à Quebec. Um, I've traveled extensively around the world often by myself, which is actually my preferred way to travel. Um, I've gone to meetings in all sorts of places. I've written and called my sponsor from so many different internet cafes um, before I had a cell phone and before, you know, Wi-Fi was a thing. Gotten to work through stuff with my sponsor um, and we've hit bumps in our relationship, but instead of throwing in the towel when conflict arose or not dealing with it, we worked it through. Five minutes left. Oh dear, okay. Um, I live in grays instead of absolutes. And I'd say the relationships in my life are solid. Okay, I do not wanna leave out the spiritual piece. So the spiritual piece, I don't work this part perfectly, uh, yet it is the most important pillar of my program, even if my disease says it's the physical. I've had a spiritual awakening as a result of working the steps. And sometimes I forget that. Uh, my conception of God has changed in the program without me paying a lot of attention. But today I can tell you there is some kind of God working in my life. 
A few years ago, when I was going through a tough time, my sponsor encouraged me to look for evidence of God, right? Instead of seeing that God had let me down. Um, I see how God has worked in my life when I share my story. I know that using all my might, I could not get myself abstinent. I see God when I see the lights go on in someone's eyes after they get abstinent. And I see God working in strange coincidences in my life, which I sometimes see in hindsight. So I'll give you a few concrete examples. Uh, the job I'm in now, a couple of years ago, I was looking for a new job. I'd done a ton of footwork and I really felt like God had lost my file. And I was walking in a park and praying and I physically like made actions. And I said to God, like, I'm turning over this job stuff to you. Like, I can't do it anymore. It's you. And uh, I closed the prayer and then I opened my phone and literally there was an email from the woman who became my boss and the job I'm in now. And it's a job that is working out really well for me. Uh, five years ago, I had a serious concussion. Uh, that was a tremendously scary time in my life. Um, I couldn't function at home, I couldn't work. Meetings were too loud and overwhelming, so were my children. And I wasn't sure I'd ever get better. Um, it took me a while to realize, but like I had three sponsees at the time, two out of my three sponsees had had multiple concussions and my sponsor, her husband had had a significant concussion the year before. And so when I look back, I was surrounded by love of people who got it. Um, and then I wanna share what happened this summer. So I flew back to the West Coast to see my family. It was a trip I was stressed about for many reasons, um, but I had a friend who was really ill um, with a serious cancer and my uncle who I was very close to was not doing well. Um, when I got there, my friend's health was really precarious and I wasn't sure if I'd get to see her. And then the day I was supposed to spend several days with my uncle, he um, ended up being rushed to the hospital for emergency brain surgery. And uh, I'm from a big metropolitan city. There's many hospitals there. And uh, my uncle and friend ended up being in the same hospital on the same floor, seven rooms apart. And they only overlapped there for two days, you know, but it happened to be the two days I was in town. And uh, I got to see them both um, in very different situations. And I still can't figure out what the chances of, our, of that happening without God's intervention. You know, so because of program, I was able to show up. Um, I held my friend's husband as he cried when things started to go south with her prognosis in real time. Uh, we cried together and we talked about God and the ways he had shown up in our life. And uh, I listened. And my uncle who had a really, he had a good prognosis at the time, but he had just come out of brain surgery. Uh, I washed his face. I helped him eat lunch. We told jokes. I held his hand. Um, I felt like I could really be of like physical service. And um, before I left, I told him that he was one of my favorite people. And yeah. And when I left the hospital, I felt my feelings. And in the last month, I have felt a lot of feelings. Uh, my friend died a week after I'd seen her and my uncle died three weeks later. So that was three weeks ago. Um, and I just don't think that I would have been able to show up if I hadn't been abstinent and if I didn't have some kind of God connection. Like I am still in awe of the timing and how like I showed up as the best Megan I could be. And to be honest, in the last few weeks, I haven't felt super close to God. I feel connected when they were both ill and I was praying constantly for a miracle. 
but one of the reasons I keep coming back uh, is because I want what people have, those people that have that like really deep spiritual connection, um, that strong faith, that connection to their intuition. Um, yeah, I still want that. Um, you know, and I'm just gonna close up quickly what my program looks like today, I wanna to be really clear, I do not work this program perfectly. <clears throat> really, I don't work the program perfectly. Um, I have a sponsor and a backup sponsor. I sponsor others. I send my food in daily um, with a gratitude list. Uh, and it was only this year that I actually realized I've been doing a step 10 for years. I used to beat myself up for not doing a daily step 10. And uh, I attended it was probably uh, some kind of mini-thon. And I realized that when I send my food in and my gratitude list, I'm also sending in an accounting of my day, um, which was a cool realization. I do step work as needed. Thanks, I'll just wrap up. Um, I do step work as needed this year, a lot about my dad, my son's health, a lot of about speaking today. I go to meetings, I make an effort to connect with God um, and I keep coming back. And you know, in closing, my life looks like it does because of program. Um, I've received so many gifts as a result of recovery. Um, and I really want to convey if there's anyone new in the program, um, anyone struggling still in the rooms, please keep coming back. Um, don't leave two minutes before the miracle happens. Uh, despite what my mom told me, you know, like I'm not particularly special. Uh, there is no reason why these steps um, work for me and will not work for you. Uh, and I'll close there. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Megan, for um, sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. Uh, we are going to go to the questions uh, right now, and uh, we'll start off uh, with one. Yeah. We do have a little bit of time. Sorry, was someone talking? Oh, it's Sandy. Um, let's just check in with um let's have um Fransk is interpreting now and Louise can take a break, yeah. Is that okay, France? Ça va, France? With and France, will you raise your virtual hand so you go up to that tippy top corner? Thank you. Okay, all set. Thanks, Chuck. Okay, thank you. Uh, Megan, can you tell us a little bit more about boring another's higher power? What does that look like for you? Um, hmm. for me, it was, uh, so there's a member in Ottawa that talks about uh, writing a job description of one's higher power. And I didn't, that's not usually how I used to think about it, but, um, you know, I think the concept is like the higher power that I was praying to was not working for me, was not getting me abstinent. And so I'd talk to a member and they'd be like, my higher power looks like this. My higher power is about love. My higher power is about is powerful or my higher power is, um, you know, the, the moon, it, like whatever the case would be, is this idea that the other person's higher power had worked in their life and could get them abstinent. And, you know, I was really, was really drilled into me, the power of acting as if. Um, so I could try acting as if I believe that their higher power would also get me abstinent. Thank you. Thanks, Megan. I'm going to jump in too here. Um, do you think that OA members who are not anorexic bulimics can sponsor anorexic bulimics? And Absolutely. is your sponsor an anorexic bulimic? 
yes, my answer is absolutely. Um, I've only had one sponsor who was anorexic and we weren't a great fit. Um, it might be because we tend to have a certain personality type. I'm not sure. Um, my first sponsor was bulimic, um, but she, uh, this is just a funny anecdote. She didn't, she didn't identify as bulimic for years because she thought bulimics had to be skinny. Um, you know, no. So I don't think, I think it can be helpful. Um, anorexics tend to be liars. We lie about what we eat. We lie about a lot of things. So, you know, I can maybe spot things in a different way when I'm working with someone who has a restrictive background, but um, my current sponsor who I've been working with, she's amazing for uh, over 15 years. She doesn't have a background of restricting. She has a super strong program. Um, my, you know, my sponsor, she and my other sponsor who really laid the foundation uh, worked out of the big book and um, it is super solid big book foundation. And that's what I look for. Thank you. Um, we have a question here about what do you do when you feel your relationship with your higher power slipping? How do you get it back? And so also, what does your step 11 look like today? Ooh, I don't like that question. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Next. I knew I nope. <laughs> sorry. Um, you know, both of my sponsors have always talked about that my relationship with my higher power is like a relationship with any other being. Um, it's not always awesome. You know, we go through periods where we're not talking a lot. We go through periods where we're not seeing eye to eye on an issue um, that I just have to keep coming back and trust that the relationship will find itself again. Um, you know, I just keep showing up. Um, and I hear my higher power, you know, I see my higher power through people. Um, so going to meetings is really powerful for me also. Um, my daily step 11, uh, I feel not great talking about my daily step 11 because it does not match what a lot of other people do. Um, I connect with my high power on a daily basis, but I do not have a great um, meditation program, uh, despite you know one of my sponsors really encouraging me to do so. Uh, it comes and goes for me. Um, I generally say a prayer when I wake up. I say a prayer when I go to bed. I say a prayer when things get hard, when I drop my kids off at school and I'm worried about one of them getting teased, I say a prayer. Um, for me, it's you know constant connection when I remember. Um, you know, and the other thing I want to say, I just, uh, I love this. It's such a, like a loving, a loving thing is, um, my, I have a kind of a secondary sponsor who sponsors me when my primary sponsor is busy. And she tells me that God will meet me where I'm at. She says, God knows you're a full, you work full time. You have two little kids. You've got a marriage. You've got sponsors like God knows. So she says like, God will meet you where you're at. So, you know, like, it's not about a set number of minutes to meditate. It's just like showing up. Thank you. Thank you. So one of our members wants to know if you have any advice about how those of us for whom this disease acts only through overeating and binging can make anorexic bulimics feel more, feel more welcome and at home in meetings. And she was thinking back to your statement that you didn't feel like you fit fit in in the beginning. So I think that in part was me, right? Like I had a lot of um, 
judgment. Um, for me, it's going to meetings. This doesn't really answer the question, but I guess like having meetings that focus on recovery, that focus on the spiritual solution. Um, I probably get triggered by things that other people in the rooms might not get triggered by. I mean, I have seen, I've experienced all sides of the disease, but for example, when I hear people talk about counting calories, like that to me is, um, if I'm not in a spiritual place, like that to me can hit me in, in a, in a bad way. Um, I always need to hear about people working the steps. I always need to hear about people working on their relationship with their higher power. You know, so for me, it's the, um, it's the focus on the, the spiritual solution and a recognition that, you know, this disease has multiple facets. It looks different for different people. Thank you. I'm going to take the liberty and combine two into one. So um, a working mother is very scheduled. Um, so question one is how do you make time for OA activities and B, um medical issues with your with your child how do you accept that and work that um uh, the first thing is I have an amazing partner my husband knew about OA after our third date and we've been together for many years uh he knows it's a part of my life and that he does not want to be with me if I am not abstinent um so he's very supportive and I know that not everyone has that um so I don't go to as many meetings as I used to. And to be honest, it's something I really struggle with is, you know, what's selfish versus what's self-care. I'm really mindful. Um, I grew up where my parents weren't around a lot. I'm really mindful of being at home uh, or being around and being present in their lives. Um, yeah, so it's balance. Uh, it's balance and I don't do it well. Uh, I'm not sure what doing it well would actually look like though. Um, in terms of my son, um, it's been really hard. I have done uh, many, 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 many pieces of step work. Um, he's had different health stuff since he was uh, 10 months old. And um, we're right now actually looking at a new diagnosis that I was not on my, um, my radar. And um, my sponsor has told me to write a letter to God. Um, she told me to do that last night. So I still think I'm within like the, uh, the time, the reasonable time frame for not having written it yet. Um, it's a balance for me about trust, but it's also been a lot about like advocating for him. I am not a doctor. I have no medical training, but, um, advocating for him. And, and a lot of these things are skills I learned to do as, um, an OA member, you know, my sponsor used to tell me, like, ask other people what their abstinence is, ask other people what they their higher power looks like. Like, and so I talk to people and I ask questions and I push when my intuition is telling me to push. Um, and I think that's like reliance on my higher power. But, it, uh, you know, that's a work in progress. So. Uh, could you talk to us uh, for a minute or two about your step nine experience and the results of doing that? The person who asked the question says they are struggling with procrastinating on their ninth step. Hmm. Um, so I've gone through step nine, I think, uh, like 
I did a big step nine at the front end of my program. And then I did a mini step nine a few years ago before my high school reunion. Um, I don't think I have a ton of experience, of experience procrastinating on step nine. I procrastinated on step four a lot. And, you know, my experience with procrastinating on the steps is that it did not serve me. Um, I really like the willingness prayer, being willing to be willing to be willing. And slowly that helps me be willing to do the things I don't want to do. And I cannot think of a step nine I did that had, you know, a result that I didn't feel good about. Um, I would also say that I really needed to work through the list with my sponsor or a trusted member. Um, because I was someone that would be likely to over apologize. And there were a few instances where it was not safe for me to do an amends where someone else might have been harmed. So um, yeah, I think my advice is to talk to your sponsor and uh, pray for willingness. Thank you. And I meant to ask you, we have a request, if you wouldn't mind putting your contact information in a chat. For sure. And then Chuck, is it your turn for the next question? It, it is. And um, again, I'm going to combine it too. Um, so the, uh, I'll let you enter that in. Let's see typing. Okay. I'm putting my WhatsApp number, but please don't call me directly. Uh, please text me first because I never pick up the phone and uh, also include my email. Um, so within your flexible food plan, are there foods that you need to abstain from completely? And if not, how do you manage portions? And then I'm going to add that from a sponsor point of view of how do you, how would a non-anorexic bulimic sponsor someone with their plan of eating? That's sure. similar to yours. Okay. Um, it's changed a lot of the years. When I came into this program, I could binge on anything. I was just as likely to binge on like chocolate and cheese as I was on carrots or lettuce. Um, I did have a list of things when I first got abstinent that I didn't need, that I didn't eat or that weren't safe for me to keep in the house. Um, for me, it has really been a process. Um, I also dabbled in another 12-step program that I am not going to talk about today, but um, that did some work on my food plan. Um, there aren't really foods on my red list anymore, uh, but there are still foods that I would not keep in my house. Um, yeah. Um, in terms of portions, there have been periods in program where I've measured things. I never measured everything, but there were some things like cereals or grains that I um, didn't know what a portion was supposed to look like. Um, you know, something that has worked very well for me is having like one plate and uh, paired with prayer. So like asking God for help before I'm eating a meal to stop when it's enough, um, praying at the end of the meal, you know, sometimes I needed the assistance of measuring. Um, yeah, and I would say it's, it feels like it's gotten easier through the years. Um, but there's still foods that I'm like, yeah, they're, like it's, it's not perfect. Um, but to, like today, it doesn't feel like an issue. But if it became an issue tomorrow, I know like I could measure rice or I can measure cereal. You know, like there's some things that I 
boxes have serving guidelines and I like have a rough idea what makes sense for me. Um, there is a second part of that question, Chuck. Was it like how to sponsor people yeah, how, who are not? How, what would you suggest to sponsors who sponsor anorexics who don't have that experience? Or food plan? I think it all goes to um, someone's food history. So, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, AA gets us, AA has a blanket abstinence, right? Uh, we don't have a blanket abstinence. So it's kind of a personalized abstinence. So, um, you know, I would tell them to look at the food history, to talk to their sponsee and to encourage their sponsee to reach out to other people whose disease might look similar. Um, that's our, you know, as a sponsor, I, I'm increasingly aware that I do not have all the answers and, uh, and it's not my job to give them either. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that's as much as I comes to mind right now. Thank you. All right. And uh, I think we have time for this last question. Couple minutes. Uh, how do you deal with the obsession of the fear of gaining weight? I mean, honestly, it comes and goes. I Most of me has accepted that this is always going to be the part of my brain that is never quite the same as other people. I, I listened to a speaker today who was talking about um, the things she did. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that's not normal. Like normal people don't do that. Um, you know, so I have, I'm really lucky that I have a lot of years now where I've seen that my higher power has not done crazy things to my weight. Uh, when I was pregnant, it was very scary because I felt like I had no control and I had to eat in ways that I didn't want to eat. Um, you know, one of the things that's been really helpful for me is this concept of like, just for today. So it's the same thing with restricting as it is for binging. Um, you know, just for today, I'm not going to uh, binge on cake tonight. Tomorrow morning, I can go to the bakery and like line up outside the store at 5am and buy all the baked goods. You know, just for today, I'm not going to obsessively exercise, you know, tomorrow, I can run a marathon. But today I'm not doing it. And if I think about doing it tomorrow, like I'll call my sponsor. Sorry, it's the part. It's always the like call my sponsor tomorrow if I think I want to run, if I think I want to do the crazy thing. Um, you know, so it's for me, it's turning it over and it's, um, yeah, it's turning it over and like making the decision with help, with support sometimes that like I'm not going to do anything to feed the disease today. Thank you very much. Uh, you have filled my heart. And uh, if you get a chance to scroll through, uh, there are some very warm uh, notes to you in the chat. So thank you for your time today. And thank you, so you for our interpreters, our timer, our Zoom host, our uh, uh, Zoom security, everybody who's done service uh, in this workshop and today. We are gonna close it out now. Uh, Chuck, you wanna lead us off in the serenity prayer? Deep cleansing breath if you choose. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay.